gorgeous Georgian goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous Georgian Goes reporting for duty here on a Wednesday night for your Thursday morning delivery. Excited to talk to you for the next hour or so about the latest in uh, mixed martial arts, some of the latest news, some of the latest rumors, some of the latest gossip and drama. And we have an interview for you as well. Vanessa Mopoulos, a UFC strawweight, will join us on the program. She's got a fight coming up against Jin Yu Fry. Uh, not for a while. It's still it's the end of June. It's a UFC fight night coming up at the end of June. But we wanted to talk to her because, A, I mean, we go from week to week so quick. And then next thing you know, you realize it's fight week. And a lot of fighters just, they're already locked into certain media. So uh, that and she's been kind enough to do some fighter breakdowns for us during our watch along. So why not get to meet the young lady who's now been in the UFC for a bit? Uh, uh, well, not not a bit, but she's got you know had a few fights now. We've never really had the chance to talk to her, so we'll wrap to her, and uh, it's gonna be a fun show as always. So thank you for tuning in on MMA Junkie Radio Wednesday, May eighteen. Goes this weekend. We have two shows. We have Eagle FC 47, and there's a UFC fight night on ESPN Plus. At the top of the bill is Holly Holm versus Ketlin Vieira. Holm hasn't fought in 19 months. Former UFC bantamweight champ. Vera, a top 10 fighter for a while now. She needs this big win to maybe get her into that last step of being a title contender at 135. Of course, Juliana Pena's at the top uh, of that division after her historical win versus Amanda Nunez this past December. They're going to run it back, by the way. I expect Nunez to win. I have officially discounted Pena many times, man. I just really think Nunez is going to come back and blast her. I just think what we saw was an anomaly. (laughs) But I think they're going to fight a third time, and I can appreciate Pena's rising to the occasion and doing what she did, man. You know, no one else was able to do it, but I just didn't see the same Mandy I'm used to seeing. So uh, the winner of this bout definitely will have uh, an opportunity to fight for a title at some point. But if it goes in the direction I'm saying, man, get prepared for a possible trilogy as well. Go ahead. It wasn't necessarily uh, Buster Douglas, Mike Tyson, though, right? No, I think it was. Juliana's better than that. It was just shocking. Well, something happened, man, and I'll tell you why. Because Juliana eventually submitting her did not shock me. Juliana taking her down, well, you know, Amanda had actually she's shown some pretty decent takedown defense as of late. Some of it by form of just not getting to that point because she's knocked you out by the time you've thought of even throwing the first takedown. No, but I really have seen her be able to keep the fight upright. And... um but what was amazing was watching Pena light up Amanda Nunez. And I've never seen that type of offense from Juliana Pena in the striking. 
So I'm sticking to my guns with this one. I just think Amanda Nunez probably didn't train much. And once she got out there, she was just a train wreck because she never expected someone to put her where she was. And I think she just wanted out and looked for the easiest way out. You think she learned her lesson, though? Yes. Yeah, I think, you know, like, remember, this ESPN era is different in many ways. One of them is like this. The reason Shevchenko, Nunez, DJ, going back a few years ago, used to always be part of double bills is because on their own, they really couldn't headline a pay-per-view and get to about 500,000 pay-per-views, which is what the UFC kind of gets now, or at least gets compensated for now. Like if, if like if they had sold about 500,000 pay-per-views. Anything after that is just gravy for both ESPN and the UFC. But under ESPN now, and what I, I believe is like their third year, they have a massive audience. And so now a lot of these uh, stars whether they double bill with another champion or on their own, they're going to cash some big checks. And Amanda Nunes is going to realize that, for one. Two, you get treated differently. I believe that. A lot of fighters have said it. They've said it more when they kind of have a tailspin of a career and they lose four straight and they're like, man, no one's my friend anymore. You know, you're not, I'm not the toast of the town anymore. But Amanda was a different type of toast of the town. She was the goat. She was the queen bee. Everyone bowed to her, you know, and there was just, there was, you know, we have arguments. Well, is it Habib or John Jones or GSP or Hoist Gracie or Couture? Like, who's the greatest on the male side? There was Mm -hmm. no argument on the female side. There just wasn't. You know, she had beaten Shevchenko, Rousey, Cyborg. You know, like, yeah, Tate. Yeah, anybody that would ever enter the conversation, she just, boop, flicked them away. Nope, beat them all. 13-1, and only lost to Zingano early in my career. And tons of title defenses, and I smash, get out of here. You couldn't argue. And so now she still holds that, by the way, that title. But there's a little bit of a a chink, you know, in the armor. And and, uh, I'm not saying it's Juliana Pena, but now she has the two losses. She's no longer a champ champ and we'll see we'll see what the next one's like um but i i i saw something that night that looked nothing like amanda nunez and so that's why i expect amanda to tie the score and then for them to do the trilogy and um but it all starts with that huge check that you cash and everyone's attitude towards you again she built up so much equity that she really is still queen b um in women's mma but it, I don't know. It wasn't like it was before. The, the, before it was untouchable. Now you can kind of make the arguments. You know, a, a Kayla Harrison supporter can go, well, my fighters never lost. And now she has two titles under her belt. She rarely loses rounds. You know, now was, would that be enough to uh, to go against, you know, in the debate for anyone that supports Nunes? No, I still don't think so. But whereas before it was like, shut up. Like King said, like Kane said to that guy trying to sell him that car in Menace of Society, shut up. Um, right now, you have to at least debate it. Mm-hmm. I hear you. Chris Cyborg's got them four belts, yet another title offense. Looked great in her last fight. You know, she still has the head to head loss, 
but she's got a better overall record, more titles, more title defenses. She hasn't done it in two divisions. She's coming off a win, not a loss. So we can debate it. Before, shut up. <laughs> shut up. Anyway. Um, oh, home. Home versus Vieira. So, yeah, those two are looking to get a shot at the winner of Nunez versus Pena. If 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 Pena wins, then I guess the winner of this fight really, really could be in line. And if Pena loses, then expect to see a trilogy, I guess is my point. Home being away 19 months, that's a long time. But I she looks of like a well-conditioned athlete, always in shape. So I don't expect her to be... I, I imagine she'll be rusty early on, but I think she'll settle in nicely. Yeah, I don't even know if she'll have that rust early on. She uh, she's always been very professional in that aspect. Uh, she talked a little bit today about title aspirations and all that. And you know, one fight that I feel like got away from us was when Misha came back. I thought that would have been a good fight to put together at some point. But uh, with Misha going down and all that, I don't know that we'll see that. But I always thought that'd be fun because it's a loss on Holly's record, but she was winning that fight. Misha had to submit her, so it was real interesting. I don't know. I, I, I would. It's one of those fights that uh, two girls that are, I don't want to say past their prime, but not really in the tie. Well, it, it's one that would still make me excited to see. Oh yeah, yeah. That one definitely has to be run back, and Pena and Tate are both playing with house money because they're the ones that won the fight. So they could absorb a loss and whether they have to do a trilogy or not, you know, whatever. The other ones want to do it because they want to avenge it. Home and Nunez want to avenge those losses, I'm sure. You know, clear them from the slate. And and then you just kind of move on. GSP didn't even need a trilogy versus Matt Sarah. He said, nah, you got me. Hats off. You were the champ. I smashed you in the second fight, but really there's no need for a third sometimes others you know they they do settle it with a third fight at some point and i imagine miocic and nganu will have to probably do that at some point but anyway so the ufc's got that one two punch going on and or well that's their main event and in their coming event they have michelle pajeda versus santiago panzanibio hey that's a good fight i like that i like that fight but I think earlier this week, I made the point that Eagle FC might have more of my attention with JDS, Junior DeSantos versus YD, uh, YDC, Jorgen DeCastro. And both guys are going to throw bombs. You know how the heavyweights are. They put you on the edge of the seat. Anything can happen. Junior definitely, he did a, an interview with Danny Segura, our colleague at MMA Junkie. And he was kind of voicing a little bit of his frustrations on the exit from the UFC. Um, I wish I could go, man, I feel you, Junior. I might have been feeling him on half the things he was saying. But for the most part, that's how it works, bro. Like, he was kind of, I don't know if you read the article, goes, but his point was like, you're using my name to get the young talent over. Well, they didn't throw scrubs his way. You know, like they threw some good fighters his way, fighters that right now are making noise. For example, Cyril Gaon made it to an interim title. 
Curtis Blades has been pretty much a top five guy for the last three years. The Jarzino Rosenstruck was the other one. And I forget the others. I forget the last one. But um, he has lost four in a row. And if you'll recall, guess what put Junior over? Do you remember that fight, goes? The fight that put Junior over. When he first started in the UFC and he was a young cat, he came uh -huh. in and smashed somebody. Do you remember who it was? No. It was Fab. It was Fabrice Verdum, who had a name over at Pride. And then he was over in the UFC. And Junior DeSantos fought him and jacked him up. That's the spinning back kick one, right? Don't remember how it ended. All I know is Junior put it on him. And so beating Fabricio was like, whoa, he didn't just beat anybody. He beat Fabricio. So that helped put him on the map. That's just kind of the process. He beat Fabricio at UFC 90. And then he beat Stefan Struve. And then he beat Mirko Krokop, and then he beat Gilbert Ivel. So Krokop and Verdum could very well say, that's what you did to us. You know, mm -hmm. like you used our name to put you over. It's the process. Cutting him off four losses? Hmm. Well, he may have a point there. I understand that. I would back Junior. I would back and, and say I, he's never sounded to me like a, a – an independent contractor, and I refuse to say employee now, who in any way made you look bad, put you in a bad light as a promotion. He always spoke highly of the UFC. He represented the UFC well. He took the time to speak English. He sold well. He went out there, and he went out on a shield when he lost, and he put someone on, you know, you know, put someone out when he won. I thought he was a great employee. He got paid a lot. I get it. But, you know, you got old Sam Alvey, off eight losses in a row, but what does Dana say? He fights like I want people to fight. Well, Junior kind of always struck me that way, too. Did, did he have maybe a snoozer or two? I mean, I can't remember them all. He had 20-some fights, maybe, but I don't remember too many of them, you know, and so I could see his point like, hey, why didn't I get the fifth fight? You know, why do others get it and not me? Penn, Cerrone, Ali, whatever. Um, But like I say, that's why I was kind of Fist bumping them on some stuff. Others, I wasn't because it is the business. Sam Alvey's check is way different than JDS's check, though, too. Um, True. So that's one thing. JDS is playing, like, good cap, good cop, bad cop on himself. He would say that, but then he would kind of, like, come back to reality for a second. Um, I mean, I, I think it's just the nature of the business. It happens to everyone. Like you said, he's done it to other people. It's just how it works. But I think at the end of the day, it had nothing to do with him being a bad independent contractor or anything like that. I think it just came down, down to we're paying somebody elite money that's not performing elite. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, does he make... I imagine Cowboy makes about the same. I think. I don't know. You know, like... I'm sure if we did a little bit of research to when salaries became less available, I bet mm -hmm. you that would be something pretty similar or maybe even BJ Penn. He was a former champion and he probably went on something worse than the four, four straight fight skid. So I think that's what happens is so, a lot of fighters are like, well, why him and not me? Why her and not me? Who knows what happens behind the scenes? Maybe he was difficult. He didn't appear to be. Maybe he was. Maybe he should have fought more frequently. I don't know. All I know is I've watched enough 
uh, from a certain distance, a lot closer than most fans. Certainly not as close as the the top, top insiders, which would be a lot of the execs themselves, a lot of the managers. But I wish him the best. Very, very nice guy. I'm Like I said, I'm sitting here telling you I'm looking more forward to Eagle FC47's main event than the UFC on ESPN Plus fight card. Here's the other thing, though. I remember towards the end of that run with the UFC, I remember not really citing money or citing a losing streak or any of that. I remember citing damage and just thinking, I don't want to see JDS get beat up again. And in that heavyweight division that the UFC has, it's just filled with killers. And you think about some of the wars that he's been in with uh, Cain Velasquez, just some of the damage that's happened through some of these fights. Yeah, I, I think I, I, I'm i going to have to side with the UFC on this one. I think I'd, I'd seen enough at that point. So you're, so you're cutting him because you don't want to be associated with the violence that he's taking. He's just not performing up to the standards that you need. Because in you know, those fights, gonna... a few of them, he, he did okay before he got clipped. But yeah, the chin is not what it used to be. And if they want to just not be a part of the, the health decline that goes along with the athletic decline, I suppose I could understand that. You know, that's fair. Four losses in a row is fair. It's about the point where you, if you gave him one more, I ain't mad at you. Had you cut him at three, I'd probably be like, that's a bit too soon. But, yeah, who knows what the inner workings are. Who knows if that was his last fight and he's not looking to go fight by fight. He wanted four more. <laughs> Although those fights... It's like the NFL, you know, their, their contracts really aren't guaranteed per, per se that I know of. Some some might have that, but uh, for the most, I think you can pretty much get cut at any point. But check it out. I think it's a, it's an interesting article, video. If you want the article, go to MMA Junkie. If you want the video, go. I'm sure you can get most of it there on MMA Junkie as well. But the YouTube, you can jump around and get uh, not only JDS, but everyone else associated with Eagle FC. They had a press conference today, so. I always recommend the YouTube channel as well. YouTube.com forward slash MMA Junkie Video. Selfishly, that's where spinning back click can be seen and shared very easily. The same goes for uh, Legend of Legend that just dropped this week with Michael Bisping. So check both of those out. Um, we spoke to Jorgen DeCastro, and he had a little chip on his shoulder. He feels like, hey, you know, they're trying me out here to be the <laughs> highlight for JDS, but He's got other plans, and he looked pretty damn serious. He did. Uh, you could tell because right away he answered it before I think you could even finish asking it. Uh, yeah, he does have a chip on his shoulder, but I would say a guy like JDS, the way he fights, that's going to be a little bit more difficult than I think Jorgen's making it out. Jorgen's going to have to be really, really patient. His JDS does know how to fight at a distance. He can also fight close quarters. And that's where Jorgen needs to be because Jorgen's just one of those smaller framed heavyweights. He's going to have to find his way inside, get him up against the cage, that sort of thing. If JDS has the right game plan, he could make it pretty hard for Jorgen. But I don't think uh, – I think there's a small audience that may discount Jorgen, but I think the hardcores know who he is and know what he's capable of doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well – like I say, that one's nice, followed by Lombard and Thiago Silva, Hector Lombard and Thiago Silva in the co-main event. Um, I know that none of these fighters are in their prime, but I still think they're talented athletes. They carry a name, and we'll see. I'm going to watch them both. I'm not 
really choosing one or the other. One's on Friday, the other one's on Saturday. But I just thought when you looked at them right next to each other, one could argue that there's more of an interest at the top of the card of Eagle FC than the UFC. But whatever. It's no big deal, honestly. I like them both. Um, the promoter of Eagle FC, Habib Nurmagomedov, he's done a little bit of media. He was talking to ESPN's Brett Okamoto, and Brett was trying to get it out of him. goes, if Charles Oliveira should fight Islam Makhachev and beat him, could that pull you out of retirement? Habib Nurmagomedov said something interesting. He said, well, I won't know until it happens. If it happens, I don't know what kind of emotion I'll be feeling. Most of the time I've seen Habib just shut down any, well, what if, how about if this, um, you know, th those types of scenarios. And he'll easily kind of shut it down. But on this one, he kind of gave a different type of answer. And that's, I don't know. I don't know how I'll feel if Oliveira were to take him out. He did also defend his position as far as the greatness of, of his run as an athlete. He said, I finished as an undisputed champion. I was undisputed. I was undefeated and undisputed. He's not taking a shot at Oliveira's current status, which is he's really a contender. He's not a champ anymore. You know, Everybody considers him the best lightweight, but because of what happened a few weeks ago, he's technically just the number one contender. He's not a champ. His point was more, he has yet to clear out the rest of the lightweight division, starting with Makashev, Dariush, and uh, a few others. Now, right away, without looking it up, I thought, well, Khabib, technically, you didn't beat Tony. You know, you never really had to fight Tony because things fell off. By the time you were already at champ, he had fallen off. He had already lost. But that's that's somebody that I think people wanted to see him fight. Regardless, let's not forget Conor McGregor kind of kind of got gifted a little bit of a of a shot at Habib's title without necessarily being the number one contender. So he, one could argue that you know we we didn't see you against uh, against him, and then you know whoever else I guess might have been. This was a couple years ago when he was at the top. Uh, Michael Chandler when he knocked out Dan Hooker, that should have been maybe a fight that he was willing to consider perhaps mm -hmm. um and he also never beat Oliveira, and Oliveira was flying pretty high so he was a little undisputed but i wouldn't say he's undisputed like maybe uzman i think it has a, a more of a case mm -hmm. he's beaten everyone at the top and he's kind of beaten a few guys twice now he still has to get past edwards who he's beaten just not as champ and then the Shemaev character, you know, who just beat Gilbert Burns to prove he's one of the top guys. I suppose that would be one we'd like to see as well. But I think there's always going to be someone there. So I don't know that you necessarily always, 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 always have cleared everything out. Um, but I, I guess I got his point a little bit. He he was further along than Oliveira is, but Oliveira is looking good. I think I think we might have something here, goes. I uh. I feel Habib with what he's saying. I understand. Uh, if I'm Charles Oliveira, though, do your homework. And if you don't do it, then Oliveira's team, your coaches, your manager, they need to do the homework. And what they need to do is they need to tell him, should he get that victory, to run his mouth. 
to be arrogant, even if it's not in him, just fucking do it because there's a gigantic payday on the other side. There's a guy telling you that possibly what could dictate him coming back is the way he feels, his emotions. Play off of that. Stab those emotions as much as you can. You can always go back and apologize. Hey, the moment got to me. I'm sorry. But if if that little game plan is what gets that guy to come out of retirement, that's going to be one of the biggest fights the UFC's ever seen. And I really wouldn't know who to pick at that point. Habib even said that Team Makashev is willing to fight in Brazil mm-hmm. and that the UFC is entertaining going to the to Brazil. He says, we'll go down there and we'll prove that Dagestan has, his, has the best lightweights. He even also said that Dagestan, that the lightweight division has been ruled for 10 years by the Dagestani fighters. And I'm thinking, well, Habib only became champ, I think, in 2017 or 2018. Yeah, it was spring of 2018. We're only in 2022 and Makashev's not even at the top. So I don't see where this 10-year run is. Now, Habib was mopping fools up prior to getting there, but that didn't mean he was at the top. So I kind of was like, huh? You know, in in studio, I probably would have said, what? Like, let's look at the calendar here that I'm not sure I'm buying this, but um, there's something. Sometimes things get a little bit lost in translation. Uh, Right away, as you were talking, I was thinking, should Oliveira get past Makachev? What if he just grabs the microphone and says, Brazil one, Dagestan zero. You want some? Drop the mic. Like, he doesn't have to go off on this long, you know, like I loved Michael Chandler's promo, but that takes some work. You know, he mm-hmm. doesn't have to do anything like that. Just keep it simple. It reminds me of Betch Cohea. Remember how she got under Ronda, Ronda Rousey's skin by coming at the four horsewomen using her fingers? She had beaten two of them, and so she was using her fingers to say, that's two of the four. Who's next? And next thing you know, she was in, she was in a in a title shot against uh, Ronda Rousey. Yeah, keep it really simple. I do my talking from inside this cage. You do yours from outside. So shut up. Something simple. Just something simple. Poke at them. You're right. Poke at the countries. Whatever you want. But that payday would be huge, man. And if you really want him to come out, you're probably not going to get him to come out by, by. Uh, tickling his ego and saying, well, Khabib is a great fighter, and if he were to come out, it would be a bit, no, fuck that, man. That ain't going to work. You got to get under his skin. You know, if Oliveira could beat Makashev and Khabib, he'd have a good argument for saying he's the greatest lightweight ever. Now, the record doesn't help. He's 33-8 and eight overall. Khabib's only 20, it's 29-0. and 0. I guess he'd be 29-1 and 1 under that scenario. So, but the head-to-head, man, the head-to-head is really really like something hard to get away from you ever get in a debate with somebody and the fighter Mm -hmm. you're campaigning for has lost to the other guy you don't want them to get to that point you want them to make that point early and then you better have a lot of other stuff or maybe there's a round robin where they took a loss to someone you beat you know sometimes that works but head-to-head means a lot and but if Oliveira at 33 and 8 could beat Makashev and then Habib so what he'd be 35 and 8 Forget about what happened at Featherweight. Just pulling the lightweight resume aside, he'd have a strong argument. Right now, my current Mount Rushmore goes. Mm-hmm. Want to hear it? Sure. These are lightweights only. BJ Penn, in no particular order. BJ Penn, Charles Oliveira, Habib Nurmagomedov, Benson Henderson. Those are the top lightweights to ever do it, in my opinion. 
You know um, who's uh, outside looking in? Say mm-hmm. Benson Henderson. Had Gilbert Melendez beat him, you could you could make an argument for him too. Yeah, what as long as he kept winning or retired? Because yeah. remember, I think he went one and five in the UFC. So right. what happened after the Henderson loss kind of hurt him a little. But yeah, he did, he would be able to say I was a WEC champion, a Shudo champion, a Strikeforce champion, and a UFC champion. What he wouldn't be able to argue much is he didn't have many title defenses, but he did have some. Um, but yeah, he lost a split decision win to Benson Henderson. One of the few people, it may even be one, yeah, one of the few people that came from another organization straight to a title shot. That's how much they respected Gilbert Melendez. Uh, Eddie Alvarez has a case. Eddie Alvarez, 29 and 6, but the guy's been doing it for so long. Even when he beat Hanson and Kawajiri back in the dream days back in Japan, those were big wins, man. Those guys were ranked fighters back then. You know, you may think of them now as like, who, what, what happened? You know, but no, back then, those guys were top, top lightweights. Joaquin Hansen and and uh, Tatsuya Kawajiri. And then, of course, he he, he beat Michael Chandler, Shin Aoki, um, Pitbull. He beat uh, Melendez. He also beat Anthony Pettis, RDA, and Justin Gagey. I mean, those are some wins, bro. Those are some wins, along with a tournament win at Bellator, along with two major belts, Bellator and UFC, and a couple title def- – well, one title defense he had. I mean, that's not bad. Anthony Pettis had a UFC and WEC belt. Only one title defense. He beat Benson twice, Cerrone, Gill, Jim Miller, Kiesa. So that's nice. You know, 21 and 7 overall. Again, only one title defense. And um, but 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 2 0 against Benson is strong, you know. Benson. So if somebody's going, well, why didn't you put Pettis in there instead of Benson? Well, Benson was 21 and 3 at his major point of lightweight. You know, you can't really take into consideration. The fights he had at, at welterweight or any of the stuff he's done now. I'm talking about like the body of work that matters. That's why I won't hold Penn to his last five years in the sport. But Benson had four title defenses. He won the UFC belt. He won the WEC belt. He beat Josh Thompson, Gilbert Melendez, Nate Diaz, 2-0 against Frankie Edgar, Clay Guida, Jim Miller, Donald Cerrone, Jamie Varner. You know, a few of those guys had one major belts man you know josh thompson did gilbert melendez did frankie edgar of course guida was a wec champ varner was a wc champ so he uh but the four title defenses to me is pretty impressive and like i say he went to an against edgar um edgar has some nice stats he went three and oh against penn i don't count the last one much but he did um he beat jim miller tyson griffin Hermes Franca, Sean Shirk, Gray Maynard. He had three title defenses, so he has a, a say. Dustin Poirier was an interim champ. He beat McGregor twice, Hooker, Alvarez, Gagey, Pettis, Miller. Um, no title defenses, unfortunately. So it, it all, it, what means the most to you? I'm big on title defenses big name wins major titles being held i mean i'm pretty big on all that but let's go back for a second though to what you were talking about before sure so 
if Oliveira were to beat Habib, mm-hmm. it would mean that that he went through Makachev first. So you give him that win. Mm-hmm. Then he beats Habib. It's head to head. But no matter what, that's an instant rematch because you sell it as, well, Habib's been out of the game, that sort of thing, right? That is such big business for the UFC. Um, that's huge. That is huge. Well, maybe if it's a barn burner, you know, but if he easily submits him, I don't know that you have to rematch him right away if there's another monster waiting in the wings. Like, what if McGregor goes out and starches someone? You don't think he's going to want to fight McGregor after Habib and cash another big check? Like, I'm past Habib. I'm past the Dagestani fighters. I proved my point. You know what I mean? Like, because you know mm-hmm. you can't keep this up forever. You know, at some point, someone's going to get you. So I think you, what you want to do at that point is just cash big uh, check. Here's what but, you do. Uh, Here's what you do if you're the UFC. You say, well, all right, Connor and Habib, you guys go at it. Winner gets Oliveira. You make your money there, and then you make your money on a big one. I Yeah, well, I think Habib wants to come back straight to a title shot. But we're talking about if he loses. Oh, if he loses Oliveira, yeah, then he could. Yeah, they could maybe force him to fight McGregor. Right. I could see that. Um, why does Dustin Poirier want to fight Colby Covington? Because it's his only option, I think, at this point. That that can't be. That can't be his only. What, what's wrong with Ferguson? I think he wants to make money. I think Dustin Poirier is just in his head. I think he believes he's just like Connor. He's just like all the big the big dogs, and uh, I think he just wants to make money. I mean, I suppose, but but Ferguson pops hard, man. Like I was shocked. People love them some Tony. Like he's done well on our site, traffic wise, at the press conference. He's a lot of people have given him a pat on the back, you know, trying to rally him after this tough loss. I, I would argue that he's just as popular as Colby Covington and not as much of a threat. And it's within the division that Poirier resides in, in which Poirier wants one probably one final shot at a title fight. But all those feelings were what we were saying before the fight. When they said, let's get it on, or whatever, whatever the hell the ref was that night, when they started the action, now what we're left with is that kick to the chin, right? Now, the hardcores, yeah, they've come around and they've rallied a little bit for Tony, but a lot of people just don't pay attention to the sport like that day to day. So I don't know. I don't know what he's going to come back to if people are going to rally around him or what the deal is because. He almost got decapitated by Michael Chandler, man. There's no way around that. Uh, so I just I just think like uh, – I just think Dustin thinks he's up here and he can only fight these guys. Dustin's got to be smart. He's got to – he's got to – I would fight Chandler. I would fight someone that is going to throw hands with me. Dustin, unfortunately, does struggle with wrestlers, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. No, it's a terrible and- matchup. Colby's just a terrible matchup. I wouldn't fight Gregor Gillespie. I wouldn't fight Colby Covington. I wouldn't fight Makashev, Habib again. Just give me the guys that more than likely want to stand and throw down and entertain. Cool. Let's do that one. But giving in to someone that's kind of like has a strength where you have a weakness and he's bigger and he's not picking on just like, you know, the guy that's maybe gone five and five in the welterweight division, Colby Covington, bro, is like either 12 and three or 10 and three. Two of the losses are to Usman, you know, like he's legit. Uh, 
say what you will about Colby. He insults people and all that, but he gets the job done. Um, I don't like that fight for Dustin Poirier. It it does nothing for him. And then it goes against something he said, which was, I don't want him, I don't want him making money off my name. Stick to your guns. It hasn't been that long. You fought in December. We're only in May. Six months. We're not at nine. We're not at 12. But there's got to be some more stuff that can be done. There's got to be another fighter out there that can get you paid. Um, and, you know, just stay ready. Maybe maybe a main event falls off and you can leverage and tell the UFC to add an extra 100 grand or whatever. And you'll come in and save the day. But I don't even care if he fights another 55er and they agree at 170. But just don't fight mm-hmm. a legit 170 guy especially one with a wrestling base because it's not going to go good. Perhaps. I mean, I, I, uh, I would like to hear from Dustin Poirier almost. I'd rather have an off the record conversation with him just mm-hmm. to see what exactly it is. He's thinking because stylistically it is an awful matchup, but if he's going to sit there and go, bro, I just have, I just have, I want to do this two more years. I only have so much mileage on me. And yeah, I get it. Just make your paychecks and get out. But I don't know. He, there's so many. He's Jekyll and Hyde. There's so many different versions of him and the things he says that I don't really know how to take the stuff he says anymore. You think maybe he thinks there might be lucrative paydays like, like a Jake Paul or something else and outside of the UFC? I don't think so. He doesn't strike me as that guy. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked, but but he doesn't really strike me as that guy. As long as McGregor, Gagey, well, the rest have moved on now that I look at it. So, yeah, he needs one of those two to win, and Gagey just lost. So I suppose if McGregor gets back in, Poirier could face McGregor. But McGregor's, there's really no need for them to have a fourth one unless it's for a title. And McGregor's just holding up everything, dude. He really is a thorn in my side. Um, all right, look, more to discuss, more news to cover, but Vanessa Demopoulos is ready to go. Again, she's going to be fighting in about six, ah, five, six weeks. So let's catch up with Little Monster. going on junkie nation gorgeous george and goes are back delivering another mma superstar this time we get to talk to vanessa demopoulos who's going to be facing jinju fry on june 25th at an upcoming ufc fight night here in las vegas welcome little monster how are you what's happening you guys good morning how are you good thank you uh happy to have you and like goes said pre-show your contributions to our watch-alongs on the UFC uh, pay-per-views have been well-received. We thank you for your fight breakdowns. So, again, you know, very, very appreciative. Of course. They were successful breakdowns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were. Carla ended <laughs> you know, up winning the championship belt. It's funny because sometimes you can nail the fight the way you think it's going to go. You'll just get the winner and the loser wrong. And sometimes you can get the winner right, but you – in no way laid it out the way they want it. You know what I mean? Right. MMA is like the weirdest game in, in that regard. Yeah. Well, I mean, because all of us have to be like a literal specialist in five different sports just to do the one sport. So you may think, you know, which way it's going to unfold, but truly like we're all training all of the sports all the time. So anything can happen. Yeah. You know, I, I probably did a few hits before the fight. 
uh, that we just had with Nama Yunus and Esparza. And they've had their fair share of criticism. I don't want to pile on, but I think it's a perfect example for what we're talking about here. If somebody would have told me, hey, we got 15 seconds left. What happens in the co-main event? I would have probably said, if it hits the ground, as far as all day, if it stays on the feet, Nama Yunus is going to tune her up. And boy, could I have been more wrong? You know what I mean? Because the fight <laughs> did stand. They did stand most of the time, but not much tuning up happened. So if you think about it, that radio show may not welcome me back. That's the whole bizarre thing about when... You know, we do go out there and try and predict what's going to happen. We we really sometimes have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who would have thought that uh, Carla probably landed more shots than Rose did and then Rose taking Carla down in the last 10 seconds of the fight. Right. Yeah. No one, No one could have predicted any of that. Now, that said, there's also a lot to be said for game study, film study, sorry, game planning. How much of that do you do versus your coaches do for you? or And then you blend it together? Because I know some fighters want nothing to do with it. Others are right there every second along the way. Yeah, uh, I think that, like, younger in my career, I had no interest in watching film, you know, because it was like, man, like, everyone's still developing so rapidly. and But now at this stage of the game, you know, we're the highest of level of professionals. Like you have to do all of your homework. And I mean, that's what's most important. You know, if you're not doing the homework on the in-between of the training and developing, then what are you doing? So uh, I like doing my own film study on top of getting my coaches inputs, on top of making notes and asking them like, hey, can you look this over with me so that we can go over this together? And I study myself as well. You know, I, I look at my own films as well and um see things that i need to improve and how would i fight me you know so that's not a bad idea i need to start incorporating that more and asking fighters that saying that that's a very good thought process breaking yourself down where where would i exploit me yeah i can control what i can control you know i can control the type of trainings that i'm doing and the ways that i'm improving so it's good to kind of have like a highlight of what you get to look forward to in the cage from someone else. But I think like for me, the most important things are what am I doing to improve my own game? Mm -hmm. You uh, you fought in front of crowds and this one again will be, you know, I don't want to say no crowd because in the apex, they do allow some fans, but nowhere near the stadium feel. Uh, what do you do? Do you care? Do you prefer one? I, well, that's probably a dumb question. I'm sure you prefer this, the stadiums or arenas over that, but is it a big deal? I guess. Yeah, I mean, not all fighters prefer stadiums, you know. And but I am that fighter. Like, I love the crowd. Like, I love the energy. I'm an entertainer at heart, you know. Like, I, I'm 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 an artist. Like, I want to be in front of people and doing things. But also, I understand that there's millions of people that are watching on the other side of those cameras even inside such a secluded space like the apex. So it, it, there's still like, there's still the fans. They're still there. They're still with me. Um, they're just on the other side of the camera. Nessa, you talked about where you were uh, mentally, emotionally before your last fight. Um, things are different now. You know, you're a full-time fighter. You got that bonus last time. Where do you feel like you're at now? What's the difference in your mentality? Uh, I sleep better at night. So <laughs> that's one of like the biggest changes. Um, you know, getting to, to be a full-time fighter, getting to really like live my dreams fully um, and being able to just like focus 
a thousand percent effort um funneling all of my energy into the correct places like that's life changing that's game changing for me uh there there's nothing i enjoy more than just being able to go out there into the trainings and just have fun and be myself and focus on my growths and um just like focus on being present in those moments versus like man i have to um i have to conserve some of this energy because i have to go to work later on you know or i have to do all these other 50 million different things like i get to be a thousand percent in these moments and that has been such a game changer for me um to be able to just be fully immersed i heard you're very goal oriented and that you write things down things that you want um tell us about balancing short-term goals versus long-term goals. I know a lot of fighters say they wanna focus on what's in front of them, but come on, it's human nature to look ahead of things that you want. How do you balance those short-term goals and long-term goals? Um, I don't balance the short-term goals the way that I balance the long-term goals. So uh, for me, I reverse engineer my life. Um, I've known what I want to do, like when I'm 60 years old, back like when I was 25. So um, I had like a huge spreadsheet and I was like, okay, like this is what I want to do later in life. This is what I need to do now to get to these goals. And this is how everything is incorporated. And it's like, it's been so beautiful to like watch things unfold. Um, the timelines have never meshed up, you know, like it's always going to take you longer to get to the things that you think are only going to take like a year. Um, but, you know, eventually as long as like you stay the course, like, and understand what it is that you're looking forward to, why you're looking forward to it. I think that it's really important to go after your long-term goals with the short-term goals. You know, like they they correlate, like they're totally like one makes the other one happen. This is a very tough sport. Um, and we've talked to fighters before and they talk about certain times in their lives where they came close to maybe doing something else or just calling it a wraps on the career. Can you share a moment? Did you ever come close to to maybe giving up on mixed martial arts, doing something else? And did anybody, was there anybody in your life that gave you good advice and solid advice that keeps you grounded? There was only one time, um, and this was back when I was like a blue belt in jujitsu. And fuck, I, I, I suffered like a weird foot injury, paddle boarding. I know, um, one of like the most gentle sports on the planet. But this injury like totally brought me back to reality where I was like, Oh my gosh, like all I had at that time was being a dancer and working, um, on my feet and being an athlete, like as a dancer, and then also being a fighter, like that's all I had. And I wasn't making money as a fighter back then, you know? So I was like, wow, um, you need to take a step back and you need to develop your life a little bit. And so, I did that. Um, I quit fighting for eight months and um, it was so tough emotionally for me. And I remember like hearing one of my mentors, um, you know, they really got like eye to eye with me and they were like, you were not going to be successful in life until you find the thing that makes you cry when you think about not doing it, you know? And I think for him, he thought that was going to be like some sort of like big business moment for me. Cause at the time I was reading a lot of books and developing myself mentally and um the only thing i could think of was fighting you know like every time i thought about fighting i had to delete my social medias because every time i thought about fighting i would get like heartbroken all over again you know it almost makes me emotional to talk about it now and um so 
I remember like a coach had called me one time and he's like, Hey, are you still doing jujitsu? And I was like, no. And he's like, all right, bye. Click. I was like, Whoa, I called him back and, um, broke down. I hopped on a plane the very next day at the time I was like living in Florida. I flew back to Ohio. I started training again and it's been like full go ever since then. But that was like a really big moment for me. You know, him saying, um, you'll, you won't be successful until you do the thing that makes you cry. And then knowing that that was fighting for me. So I knew from that day forward, like fighting is what I want to do. Like, that's it. That's awesome. Well, you have this big fight coming up and I know you can't reveal your strategy, but really <laughs> like, how do you see when they raise your hand up, how do you see this fight playing out? Yes. Um, that is something that I don't share in interviews, but, um, I do see these glorious moments unfolding and it's only because of all the hard work that I do for myself physically, mentally, emotionally, all the work that the coaches are putting in with me, um, you know, and just knowing that I'm there every day doing everything that needs to be done to be successful in this fight. Well, I can imagine the film studies already taken place and uh, you know, how many hours would you say you spend on that? Is this, can you say like a, a good solid five hours or in 30 minutes, can you dissect? Okay. This is, this is the direction I need to go in versus my opponent. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and there's initial dissections and then there's the deep dives. So, uh, I would say probably like overall at the beginning of camps, it, it takes me about like five to 10 hours of solid study, you know, and then I'm like, all right, like, time time to do the work like i you know we do all the monitors and stuff now um being a part of like the ufc but at the end of the day what got us here was just like putting your nose to that grindstone and just fucking getting after it you know like sports science is cool but also it's the hard work that got us to being able to study the part of the sports science you know like and that's what i'm good at i'm good at being a gritty fighter i'm good at getting down there and working my freaking ass off like I know what that feels like and I know how to do that successfully. So it's about adding all of the other like details to all the grit and to all of the hard work that's being done. You know, I wanted to ask you, like Goes mentioned, you did bank 50 G's in, in your last fight and there would have been about a six week turnaround, but was Columbus ever on the table? Is that something that you wanted um, at all? Or, you know, did, did you just, were you okay with the way things unfolded and, and you're going January and now fighting in uh, June? Yeah, I wanted Columbus for a minute there, but um, I'm really glad that it didn't happen. You know, um, I know that things are as they're supposed to be. I'm really happy to be able to have like a full camp um, because like, you know, I'm just like always like ready to jump in there and get after it. And uh, sometimes this is why I have coaches to be able to check me a little bit. Like, Hey girl, like, you know, we did good, but let's work on some things. Let's develop on the in-between. And I'm like, all right, thank you. Okay. You know, like, ah, ah, all right, I'll calm down. I'll relax, you know? So um, that's important too. And uh, that's the reason why I'm going to continue to climb through the ranks properly is because I do have the right coaches that tell me the things I need to hear, not just the things I want to hear. You strike me as somebody who can be very emotional and very like, let's get to it. Maybe even spontaneous, if you will. But then at the same time, if somebody 
gives you the the right data, you're cerebral enough to say, okay, take a deep breath here, and and then you come with sound decisions, which I think is awesome when you're handling a career like this, because this is a type of career where, look, not to say a, a two week, three week, four week, five week gamble has never paid off. Of course it has, but at the same <laughs> time, I'd say most of the time it probably doesn't. Yeah, no, you pinned me right on the head. Like I'm all gas, no brakes. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm extremely. Uh, like, yeah, like I'm really emotional, you know, like I make decisions really, really fast. Um, but I like to see him more of like a freaking Ferrari, you know, with like this like crazy engine that goes like a million miles an hour. But that's why I let my coaches be behind the wheel, you know, and they need to steer me. They need to hit the brakes sometimes, you know, and then they can tell me when to hit the gas. Like I am the car, I am the vehicle, but they get to steer the vehicle. And um, I love giving up the reins to other people because you know, I've lived a lot of life and um, I haven't always done it the right way. So I've had to learn to like sit back and um, allow people who have your best interest in mind kind of help you steer the ship a little bit. Did you treat yourself to anything special that you can share with us with that 50 G's or did it all go in the bank? <laughs> Most of it was just one in the bank, but um, I definitely like to have fun. So uh, we went to um, we went to Cancun as soon as that trip was as soon as that was over, you know, like I went out, I was partying a little bit, having fun um, with my best friends a lot. And yeah, just like living my best life and enjoying things. But for the most part, you know, I try to live a healthy lifestyle, even on the in between, because being an athlete is what's most important to me. You know, I've lived a full life of partying, especially being an entertainer, like every single weekend was a party for me. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm okay with just like settling down and fighting and um, loving getting to live this type of lifestyle. Do you find that a lot of people that know you from your previous career still follow and, and cheer for you the same way other fighters that have had other careers have that same type of following? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've gotten nothing but love um, from my previous lifestyle, you know, my previous career, like, Anyone who was in my life before I retired is like kind of still there, you know, and in such a positive light, like uh, even when I was an entertainer, you know, I mean, I literally wrote a book called Stripper Bible and it was to help girls get through the industry while keeping their morals and values, you know? So like I had my head on just amongst all of the craziness that was happening. So um, yeah, it's been, it's been really cool to see all of the encouragement. Uh, being able to do the thing that everyone's known that I love doing the most. And I think that's what's really important in life is just like loving what you do and having the right people around you that are encouraging on your journey. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I wanted to say was your record really jumps out at me because uh, you've almost probably fought tougher competition outside of the UFC than in the UFC, but prior to them also becoming better fighters like you. So, for example, Cheyenne Valismas, Caitlin Shukagan, and <laughs> Lupi Godinez, you know, like a lot of you are blowing up at the same time, but some of you have met on other circuits. Yeah, um, I fought Caitlin and uh, Cheyenne when we were still amateurs, you know, <laughs> so um, <laughs> Caitlin was probably the first fight where I, like, was unrecognizable at the end of it. And that's not the last time that that had happened. But um, unfortunately for me, 
And yeah, I, I think that like developing outside of the UFC and then getting to get to the UFC and knowing like, fuck, I am battle tested, you know, like there is nothing that you're going to do to make me quit. Like I know myself inside the cage. I know what type of warrior I am and the world should know what type of warrior I am. And I love that sometimes I still end up being underrated. It's like, okay, whatever, like, let's go. You know, like I've been here a million times before I ever got to walk into the UFC cage. And it took me a long time to get to the UFC. But now that I'm here, you better believe not only am I developed as a warrior, but now I'm also developed mentally and spiritually, like forget about it. Like it's go time. I love it. And this might be a year you can actually fight three, possibly even four times if things get mapped out right, depending on the results, depending on, I imagine how many more Cancun chips you might have up your sleeve, but <laughs> so far so good. You've had a great year and, and it's been great getting to know you through the uh, breakdowns and now getting to know you in person. You really strike me as someone that uh, I think a lot of fans are going to be drawn to quickly and, and, or they already are, and it's going to continue. <laughs> I, uh, you know, like I say, you just come off really well. So thank you so much. Uh, thank you guys so much, man. Like I just, I love this, you know, I love fighting and I love getting to share fighting with the world. I think that it's amazing, you know, and I get to be myself and I love that everybody loves this passion with me. So and this is, this is really, really cool for me. It's really exciting for me to be able to get to do interviews with guys like you. So well, thank, thank you. you. And, and I want to <laughs> be specific too. It's your, it's your passion that jumps out because a lot of fighters are in the same position as you are like they're prize fighters and everything. But sometimes I don't know that they're appreciating the the, the ride they're on. You know, it's it's kind of yeah. I know it's supposed to be your job, but I think it's supposed to be fun, too. And when it stops being fun, it almost becomes too stressful where a lot of people really leave the industry, the the sport real bitter, you know, and uh, they didn't get as much out of it as they thought, you know, because it like Go said, it's a really, really hard sport. It can chew a lot of people up and spit them out. But at the same time. I guess if you look at it from a certain viewpoint, I think you can just enjoy the ride and make the most of the opportunity. And hopefully it takes you all the way, right? You make a lot of money and, and do what some people have been able to pull off. Oh yeah. Well, and that was actually something that I had considered um, knowing that this industry is very unforgiving, you know, and those are things that were on the table for me when even considering being a full-time MMA fighter. So obviously like, I mean, not obviously, but I do have a lot of other life options you know, and I choose this life because this is what I am passionate about. This is what I know that I want to do. Um, but also I've weighed out the options and I understood that about fighting, you know, like it's unforgiving, you know, fighting doesn't love you back. You love it. Um, it's a very yeah. one-sided relationship and <laughs> I'm here for That's it, so you know? So yeah. <laughs> fighting does not love you back. It does not ask you how you're doing or anything like that. Yeah. Good no. one. I like it. All right, Vanessa. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. We really appreciate the time today. We'll talk to you soon. Good luck with the rest of your camp for Ginger Thank Ginger's you. Thank you. Be amazing, yeah. you guys. Have an awesome day. Thank you to Vanessa for her time, full of energy, and very, very nice to meet her. Um, Jinju Fry is a good fight, but it sounds like this young lady is very studious. She's going to break down her opponent and properly train for her and Good for her. I was really, really impressed with her, to be honest. Yeah, she had a lot of uh, she had a very interesting way of looking at things. I liked what she said about not just evaluating her opponent, but evaluating herself. Herself. And yeah. She had her little come, come to Jesus moment and 
but uh yeah it was, she's pretty interesting yeah that was a good booking all right she fights on june 25th so still about five weeks away for little monster against jinju fry and want to get back to a few of the discussions we were having here so poye kind of done with him like i said i'd rather him not fight colby covington mcgregor seems to be posting some videos there's a listicle there on our page about kind of his progress but i think something we haven't discussed regardless of who he fights nate this guy that guy what do you think of him packing on that muscle is that gonna make him better that, that just straight up no. that way. i don't think so either no He's just he's gotta he's gotta immerse himself in the ground game. That'll make him better. Yeah, whoever said, oh, Connor can't hit he, he can't hurt anyone. No one's ever said that. So I don't think he really needed to ask too much add too much muscle. He could already crack. And I thought making 45 was the problem, but I never see him out of shape. He's always in shape, which tells me he has a very disciplined diet and 55, though not easy, probably is where he should be at 70 i think he's asking for big problems unless he fights someone from the 55 weight class at 70 like a nate like a poye if they want to agree to it i'm good with it i don't think they need to lose the weight unless they're campaigning to be a champ one day then yeah dana has said i don't like them to do that because we want to see if you can make the weight because otherwise everybody would be doing that but um i do not like the jacked mcgregor i'll tell you that right now well, especially coming off a, a layoff, right? Because no matter what you say, that's going to take time to get off of your body. Time that you don't have. You know, you got to be spending that time trying to get better, trying to get healthy. Uh, it just it just seems like a waste. I don't understand why he's doing it. What did you think of Cain Velasquez being denied bail? you have any comment on that? We haven't touched that case in a while. Mm-hmm. The most recent thing is this week, he still remains in jail. The, the the judge denied him bail. Every time they try and bring up, well, it was a crime of passion. What did you expect? The judge, who's a lady, says that's a whole separate case. That, that's something else that's going to be adjudicated in another court. We're talking about a man who chased another three people for seven miles and carelessly shot into honestly a public space but specifically was shooting at the truck and and trying to get the alleged perpetrator of the the uh the other act you know of his son being assaulted he happened to hit someone else along the way so lots of bad decisions 10 counts against them but they denied him bail i was hoping goes that i'm not trying to excuse king velasquez i imagine he probably is gonna have to do some time i imagine some counts will be dismissed some will be i think they're called pled down but i don't see him avoiding jail time but i honestly hoped that he would have to serve it at home um after reading that he's never really had problems with the law i really had hoped that they had taken that into consideration that he just had in a moment of non-clarity um he was an overprotective dad that acted out luckily no one died uh doesn't mean he didn't do it but i was bummed you said a key word there a moment 
And I think that's what separates everything. I love Cain Velasquez. I think he's a good person. He's a good man. But that whole series of events took place not over like 20 seconds, you know, where you sometimes react to something quick on the trigger. You turn around, you sock someone, you go, oh, man, why did I do that? This, he had a lot of time to realize what he was doing was, was wrong. And I think that's the way the judge looks at it. She doesn't look at it as Cain Velasquez, the fighter, or any of that. She just looks at it as a dude that lost, you know, uh, was upset and didn't really care about the safety of others to get what he wanted to get done. Right. And what he wanted to get done, remember, had he been successful in what he wanted to do, somebody would be dead, right? Maybe multiple people. Mm-hmm. So I think as a judge, they're just look, they're looking at it that way, and I I can understand that. Um, I think if I'm the judge, the, the the way I get my response to this is I probably ask the guy, "Do you regret what you did?" And there's a good chance he might go, "No," and I think that's your answer there. You know, is whether or not you keep him behind bars or you set him free. I think there's a good chance he says, "No, I don't regret it." And I don't even know that he's wrong in feeling that way. But as a judge that's there to protect everyone else, you can in good conscience probably release him. So I, I kind of get what happened, um, but I do feel for King Velasquez and his family. Me too. I think he must have been enraged to find out that possibly 100 ludacs took place between this person and his son. That is a horrific thing. It enrages me, and I'm not even his dad. You know, the kid's dad, I don't really know them. I've met Kane a few times at our studio, but that's it. But it honestly enrages me, and they were willing to let that guy go with an ankle monitor um, and then hear the case out or whatever. And I think what he did is more horrific of an act Again, allegations. Those are allegations. Kane is clear cut. You know, that did happen. His actions did happen. He did shoot those three bullets. Um, But the one thing I can't get out of my head is, and I have to be careful how I say this. You and I spoke with someone from that, that uh, it's very close to these types of cases. So he's, in somebody in the in the legal world, in high level, who gave us his version of um, how mad he could possibly be or may have been because of something that could have been similar. But yet, knowing what the legal system was, the person still stepped out of their shell enough to contemplate wanting to hurt the other party, you know? And that to me told me like, wow, like even someone that knows what that, you know, that defends the law or whatever could reach that point. Like that, that you, you can't imagine, I guess, what, what that must feel like, I guess, when, when you come into that type of information about someone that's hurt somebody you love. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely one of the worst situations you could possibly be in, but, uh, you and do. I don't consider him a flight risk. And I think that's what they must have said about the other guy. Okay, horrific what he did. We're going to try him. But for now, we're going to do the ankle monitor. We don't consider him a flight risk. Even though, let's just say he did take off. We might be unleashing upon society 
a pedophile, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, but that, I, I just, I don't know. I see that still as, I, I don't think our legal system's perfect. I think it's good, but I don't think it's perfect. And, and that's why I was hoping they, that they would uh, release him, man, but they didn't. Anyway, I, I believe in June they're going to have more, um, you know, we're going to revisit the case and we're going to find more stuff out. I, I imagine at some point this thing, this, this case will be tried or whatever. The other stuff I wanted to talk about was going back to Junior DeSantos, something that I left out. If Junior DeSantos were to beat Jorgen DeCastro, they were dangling a possibility of Fedor Melanenko. What did you think of that? Oh, I, I think that's interesting, but I just don't know. Bellator is going to want something back. Yeah. Return, right? Because yeah. Scott Coker has been in the Fedor Melanenko business for a minute, and I doubt he's just going to surrender Fedor's last fight just like that. Like, forget yeah. about the fact that he's the head of Bellator. He's just a fucking fight fan from a long time ago. And I, I, there's probably a little bit of pride, no pun intended, in him that he probably wants to be the dude that sends Fedor off. Yeah. So whatever it is you're offering Bellator better be fucking sweet as hell. It was an interesting little headline, though. Junior talked about it. Check out the interview there on Junkie. I lied. One more thing. Connor was number one on the Forbes list in 2021 goes. He took a tumble. He's number 35. Any thoughts there? Does it matter to you? I mean, it, it's it has nothing to do with his uh, popularity or anything like that. He's just not fighting. Yeah. I think the big deal was um, that sale. The sale of the vodka really is what made him make a lot of that money. Um, not necessarily his. See, I, I want to read an article like that to see who gets paid the most for their craft. And unfortunately, they tie in all these um, endorsements. But if you're curious, number one, Lionel Messi, 130 million per year. Number two, LeBron James, 121.2 million per year. Number three, Cristiano Ronaldo, 115 million per year. So what they make off the pitch or on the pitch and on the court, I don't know, but it's all these other endorsements that they're just killing it. So good for them. Uh, anyway, I guess no one's shocked at that list, right? <laughs> no, not really. Let's get out of here, man. Uh, good stuff as always. Hopefully y'all enjoyed the uh, visit there with Vanessa Demopoulos. And thank you as always for your time. We're going to get on out of here. Go out there and be a champion. We'll see you all on Monday.